We're so glad you could join us for the mornings at YCBC today. We want to thank you for being a part of our online family and we hope that this message encourages you, blesses you and helps you grow in your walk with Him. So let's get into the Word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for uh, just the power of it in our lives. We thank you for all it teaches us. We thank you for all we learn about how to follow you. We thank you for all we learn about who you are. Um, but I pray this morning in Jesus' name that, that it would be more than just learning and head knowledge this morning, but by the power of your Spirit, you would take this written word and make it a living word in our lives. In Jesus' almighty name we pray. Amen. This morning I want you to say this with me as we start. Uh, this morning is, I don't know what to do. So on the count of three, we're all going to say this. One, two, three. I don't know what to do. Uh, so this morning we're talking about a situation like that, where, where Jehoshaphat, the, the king of Israel, so we're journeying through the kings of Israel and we're, uh, of Judah, sorry, and we've arrived at King Jehoshaphat, who was a good king. And, and by the time we get to this story, he's been a king for, for, for several years. This is kind of, uh, uh, after he's been established and stable on his throne. And it's a story where he just doesn't know what to do. And we've all been there, haven't we? We've all had situations in life where where we've said this, or at least thought this, I don't know what to do. Maybe it's a, a, it's a situation that's just overwhelmed us and our, our brain is frazzled and fried, and so we just think, I don't know what to do. Maybe it's something that's causing anxiety within us, we're, we're crippled by that anxiety, and so we just don't know what to do. Maybe it's, maybe it's we're not anxious or overwhelmed, but there's just no answers for the problem we're facing, so we just don't know what to do. Maybe we're caught off guard, we're caught by surprise, and if we'd had lots and lots of time to plan and prepare and think about a solution, we'd know the exact answer. But we didn't get that time, and so, we, so now we just don't know what to do. We've all been there. Perhaps some of us are there right now as we sit here this morning. There's a situation in our life where we just don't know what to do. Maybe we're not there now, but we've been there before or, or we're wise enough to know that a time will come in our future where something may come up and we just won't have the answer for it. We just won't know what to do. And so, as I said, this is the situation for Jehoshaphat and the kingdom of Judah. He's established on the throne, he's comfortable on the throne, and then they have a big problem. To recap uh, what Kitch read for us in, in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 2, some people came to Jehoshaphat, who was the king, and he says, they say, a vast army is coming, coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea, it is already at Hazazon Tamar, that is Engedi. Now, I don't anticipate that we're all extremely familiar with our Palestinian geography, uh, nor am I, I confess, but I've, I've got the advantage of having had time to Google and look this up. Engedi is about two days' march for an ancient army from, Ju- from Jerusalem, the capital of Judah. And so in ancient warfare terms, this is really late to be finding out that a vast army is about to sack your city. 
This is two days march away from total destruction for Judah and Jerusalem. And so they were caught off guard. They were caught by surprise. They were blindsided. The next verse says that Jehoshaphat was alarmed. But it wouldn't have just been the king. The whole city, having heard this news, would have been stirred up with anxiety and fear. They didn't have enough time to respond and they didn't have enough people in their army to respond with. And so how did they respond? Well, it says, Alarm, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. So instead of carb-loading the, the army, instead of feeding them up, getting them strong, uh, filling them with all the necessary carbohydrates and nutrients for the battle coming the next day, because you don't want to wait for them to be at Jerusalem, they're two days off, you want to, you want to head out right now to meet the battle. So that it doesn't happen right on the doorstep of your city. So instead of preparing, instead of carb-loading, instead of, of doing all the, the anxious, urgent things you would expect them to do, Jehoshaphat says, let's, let's fast. Let's pray. And so there's already a hint there that, that sometimes when we're in these situations and we don't know what to do, there's this hint that, that the best thing to do is sometimes counterintuitive. See, most of us would be running to the armory, getting swords, blowing the battle trumpets, anxiously preparing for battle. But Jehoshaphat is a good king in his wisdom. He's, he just says, let's, let's pause. Let's fast and pray. Sometimes the best thing to do when you're blindsided by a problem is not nothing, because fasting and praying is not nothing, but 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 to slow down and not try and rush towards the answer. And so Jehoshaphat prays, and I'm not going to reread all the prayer that Kitch read for us, but, but Jehoshaphat begins to pray and, and, and he says, says things like, God, you're a great and awesome God, no one can compare to you. And he says that when we bow down to pray to you because calamities come against us, when we pray towards your temple, you'll rescue us. And, and that, that calamity might be because of judgment. He's kind of hinting at sometimes we have problems that are our fault. But even then when we pray, you come and deliver us. And then he, then he goes on, and this is towards the end of his prayer, but he says, But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. And so when God freed his people from slavery in Egypt, so the entire nation of Israel was enslaved in Egypt. And this is the story of the Exodus where God, through his power, delivered his people out of Egypt and, and they marched from Egypt towards the promised land, kind of a long way around, and then they didn't trust God, so they spent 40 years circling the, the desert. But, but along that journey, there were groups of people, nations surrounding the promised land that God would not allow them to touch. 
The promised land itself, God drove out the nations before them. They won battles and conquered this territory and God gave them the promised land. But there was these surrounding nations that God would not allow them to touch. And these surrounding nations, while they're on their journey, mostly wouldn't even give them a drink of water. Israel would say, can can we just, you know, we won't eat any of your crops. Can we just rest on your territory? Can we, you know water our livestock and these surrounding nations said no and they cursed them and they taunted them and so Israel were kind of really wanting to deal with this problem of these surrounding nations but God said no and so Jehoshaphat significant amount of time later says you would not allow Israel to invade this territory so we did what you said we turned away from them and did not destroy them See how they're repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession that you gave us as an inheritance. Jehoshaphat saying, we've got a big problem, but God, you left this problem here. This is a a big problem that's caught them off guard, but you left it here, God. This is a problem You left here. And so I want to tell you this morning that sometimes some of the problems you have in life are your fault. You caused them. One way or another, you you didn't plan ahead, or you you didn't budget, or you, you you sinned in a certain way and there's a consequence for that sin. Some of the problems in your life are your fault, but some of them aren't. Some of the issues, the challenges, the problems that you have in your life are there because God has left them there. Some of the issues and problems that you have in your life right now are there because God has chosen to leave them there. Just like these nations surrounding the promised land that God gave to Israel, He said, don't touch them, leave them there. And I also want to say to you, though, that if God leaves a problem in your life, he's left it there for one of two reasons, and I want to say usually both of these reasons. To give a New Testament example of of when God puts or leaves a problem in your life, we only need to look at the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is not going to be on the screen, but I'm going to read it for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 10. And this is the Apostle Paul who, who had such a powerful ministry, who, who, who raised the dead in the name of Jesus, who uh, had saw people healed in the name of Jesus, um, saw miraculous things over and over again in the name of Jesus. But then he says in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, to keep me from becoming conceited or proud because of these surpassing great revelations that he'd received from God, there was given me a thorn in my flesh a messenger from Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I'll boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weakness, insults, in hardship, in persecution, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And so God left a problem in the Apostle Paul's life whose ministry was so powerful that 
you know, a young man fell out a window and died because he preached such a long sermon and we can hope that doesn't happen this morning. But he just went out, laid hands on him, raised him from the from death in Jesus' name, went back upstairs and kept preaching. But yet he had a thorn in his flesh and we don't know what it was. Lots of people have tried to guess at that. But And he prayed three times for God to, to remove it, but God left it there. But he left it there to achieve a purpose in Paul, that he might understand that when he is weak, it's the power of God at work, not his own strength. That he might learn that in humility, God works in power. In weakness, God works in strength. And so God left this problem in Paul's life for a reason. If God's left a problem in your life, as uncomfortable as it may be, He's left it there to accomplish a purpose in your life. He's left it there to accomplish a purpose in your life and or He's left it there so that His glory may be revealed through this thing at a later time. And so to see a New Testament example of that, we can... Flip into the Gospels in John chapter 9. John chapter 9, verses 1 and 3. And so it says, As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, which means teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And so so the disciples were trying to say, well, our problems are all our fault. So whose fault is it that this man's born blind? Because... He was born that way. He didn't have a chance to to have this problem be his fault. So is it his parents' fault? Jesus' response is neither. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. And he's not saying that they were completely free from sin. Um, We know that only Jesus is completely free from sin. But he's saying this isn't the consequence of their sin. This is a problem God's left there. Neither this man nor his parents have sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. So if God has left a problem in your life, he's either using that thing to accomplish a purpose in you as uncomfortable and painful as that thing may be, or he's left it there to achieve a glory and reveal a glory through that thing. We have a big problem that God has left there. That was the situation for Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah. And so at the end of his prayer, Jehoshaphat says this, Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do. I don't know what to do. But our eyes are upon you. There's so much power in those words. We don't know what to do. We don't have the answers. We don't have the forces to come against this problem. We don't have the time to get ready. 
We don't know what to do, but, but what we are doing is we're fixing our eyes upon you, God. They could have fixed their eyes on a whole bunch of other things. They could have fixed their eyes on the vast army coming against them. They could have said, we don't know what to do. I'm just crippled by looking at the numbers of people who are going to kill me tomorrow. They could have said, we don't know what to do and fixed their eyes on how feeble their own forces were. They could have said, we don't know what to do and fixed their eyes on fear and anxiety. They could have said, we don't know what to do, so I'm just going to scroll through Facebook for a few hours. to distract myself, and then Instagram. We don't know what to do, so I'm just going to distract myself from the whole problem and pretend it's not going to happen. They could have fixed their eyes on so many different things. They didn't know what to do, but they chose their fix their eyes upon the Lord Almighty. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. So where do we fix our eyes when we don't know what to do? If I'm honest, the the Facebook and Instagram example is often too true of me. When there's a problem and I'm just, you know, frazzled and stressed, all too often distraction is what I fix my eyes upon. Where do we fix our eyes when we don't know what to do? I don't know what to do. We said this at the beginning. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are upon you. So I just want to encourage you to say, to finish the sentence with me on the count of three, because we tried a couple of weeks ago and I didn't count in and it was a schmozzle and I own that. Okay, so I'm going to count us in. Ready? One, two, three. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are upon the Lord. So let me encourage you that that is where we should fix our eyes. When we don't know what to do, let's not fix our eyes on the enemy or the problem or the issue. Let's not fix our eyes on our own fear and anxiety and just look inwardly at that. Let's not fix our eyes on the feebleness of the resources that we have to address the problem that is overwhelming us. Let us not fix our eyes on distraction and and things that just take us completely away from the issue. Let's fix our eyes upon the Lord. Because as it says in, in Psalm 121, I think it is, I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither sleep nor slumber. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going both now and forevermore. When we don't know what to do, let's fix our eyes upon the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And so Jehoshaphat prays this prayer. He says, we don't know what to do, Lord, but our eyes are upon you. 
And so God answers through a prophet. If you read verse 14, you can learn whose son he's of and whose son that person was of. And there's a whole bunch of whose son he's of that's not particularly uh, of relevance to our message this morning, though important. But so the prophet comes and gives God's answer to Jehoshaphat and the people. And he says, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the vast army. For the battle is not yours. The battle is not yours. But God's. The prophet, speaking the words of God inspired by the Holy Spirit, responds to Jehoshaphat and the people who, who, who have cried out to God, we don't know what to do, but we're, we're fixing our eyes upon you. You are the only answer that we can think of for this problem. And, and God responds, this is not your battle. Don't stress. Don't be anxious. Don't be worried. For the battle is not yours, but God's. When the battle's too big for you, when you don't know what to do, that's a surefire sign that that it's not your battle to fight. If God's allowed a battle in your life that's bigger than you, that you don't have time to prepare for, that you don't have the answers for, that you don't know what to do, then, then that's the sign that this is not your battle to fight. It's God's. When God leaves a problem in your life, then it's his problem to deal with. But, but here's the thing I find really interesting about this passage. In, in the next verses, the prophet continues to speak the words of God to Jehoshaphat and the people, and he says, Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up the pass of Ziz and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm and see the deliverance of the Lord. Sorry, the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. Reading this is like a bit of a tennis match, looking from one side to the other. God says through the prophet... The battles is not yours, but God's. But then he says, march down against them. So are we fighting this battle or not? The prophet says, you will not have to fight this battle. But then he says, take up your positions and stand firm. You're not fighting the battle, but, but go out, take up positions as if you were fighting the battle. The prophet says, see the deliverance of the Lord, the Lord will give you. And then he says, go out and face them. They, they still had to suit up for battle. The prophet didn't come and say, don't worry, God's got this. Go, go back to bed. Get a good, solid 15 hours sleep. Wake up tomorrow. The problem will be gone. The prophet says, speaking the words of God, march down against them, take up your positions and stand firm, go out and face them. 
They didn't just stay home. God promised that they wouldn't have to fight this battle, that he would fight the battle for them, but they still had to suit up. And and the thing is, uh, a little spoiler alert, but the thing is, if they'd stayed at home, then they wouldn't have been there to see the deliverance that the Lord accomplished for them. But so this is really important for us. Because as I said, the, the battle belongs to God. The battles in your life, the things that are too big for you to, to address, to have answers for, the battles in your life that are too big for you, the problems he left there, they're, they're God's to fight. And there are times where that will look like us not having to lift a finger. Getting 15 hours sleep and waking up in the morning and the problem's gone, but, but more often than not, we have to face up to the battle. That might mean we have to, to go and see the doctor. It might mean we need to get the treatment or get the, the relationship counselling or, or it might mean that we need to start taking medication or we might actually have to apply for jobs if we need a job. It might mean that we need to, to face the conflict instead of avoiding it. It might mean that we need to learn to say no to build some boundaries in our life. It, it might mean a whole bunch of things. But what I want to say to you this morning is don't let the fact that you have to do something in this battle tell you that God's not fighting it for you. Don't let anyone say to you, if God was fighting the battle for you, it should be easy. that you shouldn't have to put your armour on and sharpen your sword. Maybe God's saying to us, I'm fighting this battle for you. Go out and face it. Maybe he's saying, you won't have to fight this battle, but take up your positions. Maybe he's waiting for us to, to take our stand so that we'll be on the spot to see what he's about to do for us. But don't let anyone, the enemy, another human, or your inner voice tell you, oh, God's not in this because I'm having to face up to the battle. You know, there's stuff in our life, in, in Christian art, my life recently, we've just, we just had these hopes and we're praying and we thought, if God's in it, we just want it to be easy. We just want it to happen like a snap of the fingers and then we can praise God for it. But, but what I've been learning through that is I've got to face up to the battle. I've got to do the work. I've got to contend for what God has for my life. But that doesn't mean that God's not in it. That doesn't mean that God's not fighting for me. It just means I've got to put on my armor and sharpen my sword and face up to the battle. So if there's a battle in your life that, that you've been avoiding, just hoping that God would take care of it, maybe he's just waiting for you to put on your armor and face it so that you can see the deliverance of the Lord. I love this story because the further you go through it, 
the more amazing it gets. And, and I've resisted the temptation to say these are my most favorite parts, but, but that was kind of my m- most favorite part until we get to this verse. Uh, and so I'm skipping a few verses because it's a long story, but, but Israel responded to this word from God through the prophet uh, with, with worship and praise. And so they praised God. They worshiped him based on the promise before they saw the breakthrough. They didn't wait for for the breakthrough to happen. They had received the promise and they worshipped God for it there and then. But then in verse 21, on the day of suiting up for the battle, of taking up positions, it says this, after consulting with the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. So normally when you march out for battle, you lead out with your fiercest warriors. You know, the crazy guys, you know, like, like Ross, I reckon he'd be right with a battle axe, you know, a bit of a berserker, you know, the ones who are just dead keen to get amongst it. That's, that's kind of the guys that normally... Um, anyone with a beard is just that fierce look. That's, that's why when I played rugby, I was sure to make my facial hair look as aggressive as possible to, to hide my tender heart um, on the playing field. But, but normally you lead out to battle with the fiercest warriors, the ones who are going to charge out and they're excited by the battle and they just want to get amongst it. But it says after consulting with the people, Jehoshaphat didn't do that. He led out with their wildest worshippers. They marched out to battle against a vast army intent on killing them and they put the worship team up front. They essentially said, this is how we fight our battles. We fight our battles by giving thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. This is how we fight our battles, with worship. And so it was a step of faith in believing the promise. They stepped out in faith and they worshipped God based upon the promise. They led out with worship because they believed the promise. It was a step of, of continuing to keep their eyes fixed upon the Lord because they, they hadn't been given an answer for how this was going to happen. God had given them some next steps. Put on your armor, take up your positions, go out to fight. But he hadn't told them how he was going to do this. So they didn't know that God just wasn't going to supernaturally empower them in the battle, that, that, that they were going to have to still fight, but God would fight through them. They didn't know how it was going to happen. They still really didn't know what to do once they got to the battlefield. And so this was a step of faith, but it was also a step of saying, we're going to keep our eyes fixed upon the Lord as we head out to battle, that our wildest worshippers, not our fiercest warriors, are going to keep us fixed upon the Lord. But the thing is, they hadn't read the end of this story yet. And maybe some of us this this morning don't yet know the end of this story. We haven't read it before, but maybe some of us have. Again, a spoiler alert. They win. They didn't, they didn't know that yet. 
They had the promise of God, but they didn't know how it was going to happen. They didn't know what it was going to look like. They didn't know how many losses they may face in the process of God winning this victory. And so this was also a bold statement of of the people of Judah saying, essentially, if this is going to be the thing that takes us out, we're going to go out worshipping. It was how they fought their battles, but it was also a bold statement of, 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 if we're going to die today, then I'm going to die with a song of praise on my lips to the Lord Almighty. And so the next verse says, as they began to sing and praise. The Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated. The Ammonites and the Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them and after that they finished slaughtering the men from Mount Seir. They helped to destroy one another. And so as they began to praise this vast army that was coming against them, imploded upon themselves and wiped itself out. It's the military version of spontaneous combustion. Poof. As they began to praise, the deliverance came. In the midst of our problems, our struggles, our conflicts, our our things that have us saying or thinking, I just don't know what to do. I wonder what deliverance comes when in the midst of that thing we just begin to sing and praise. To not anxiously seek an answer, to not to not try and solve the problem, to not have to have the answers at all but simply say, this is how I fight my battles. This is how I solve my problems. This is how I resolve my conflicts. This is how I come against the things that have been sent to tear me down and destroy me. I lift my hands in worship. I begin to sing and praise. I wonder what deliverance will come for us. And I also wonder what it would look like for us to praise before we see the breakthrough at a deeper level, to, to, to embrace this idea of saying, if this is the thing that takes me out, if it's this illness, this disease, if it's this cancer that takes me out from this life, then I'm going to go out praising God. If it's this drought that ruins me financially, I'm going to worship as warfare, but if it's this thing that undoes me, then I'm going to be undone with a song of praise to God on my heart. If it's this conflict that that is going to break my marriage, then I'm going to have it broken while I'm praising and worshiping God. I'm not saying that 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 those are God's desires for you, the the death or the the the, the drought or or the broken relationships. But what would it look like for us to have such a determination to worship that even in the midst of the thing that feels like it's going to be our end, we choose to sing and give thanks to the Lord for His love endures forever. You know what enables us to do that? 
It's knowing that whatever end we might have in this life is not the end. It's knowing that we are secure. Some people just need to have audible audio Bibles. <laughs> Skipping ahead to the dead bodies lying on the ground. We'll get there. We'll get there, Di. We'll get there. Not that I believe it's God's desire to, to have those things be our end, but we can praise Him in the midst of thinking this might be it for me because we know that when it's it for us in this life, if we have faith in the Lord Jesus, we can trust in His words that said, even though you die, you will never die because He is the resurrection and the life. What would it look like for us to lead out not with our fiercest anxiety, not with our our overworked brain trying to work out the answers, not with our, our own resources to try and solve the problem, but to simply lead out with our wildest worship from within us in the midst of our problems. To say, this is how I'm going to fight this battle. Now we can catch up with Di. And so as they begin to sing and praise the Lord delivered them from their enemy. And so when the men of Judah, in verse 24, when the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked towards the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder. And they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing, and also articles of value more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. Just picture the scene, like, you know, some of us careful with that, dead bodies and stuff might, might uh, give us scary dreams, but just picture the scene. They're marching out to battle. They've, they've had this promise from God that he will fight the battle for them, but they don't know what that's going to look like because they haven't read the end of the story, and so they come over the crest of the hill starting to loosen up their swords in the scabbards, starting to kind of get anxious and nervous and ready to fight. And they come over the crest of the hill and the whisper goes back through the ranks. They're all dead. The deliverance of the Lord has been so complete that not one single enemy was left standing. There was nothing left to do but collect the plunder. They had to suit up. They had to march out. They had to face the problem, but they never had to raise a sword. And here's here's the thing, perhaps the thing I love most about this passage, is that the army that was sent to destroy Judah became the vehicle that carried God's abundance for Judah. This vast army that that just yesterday seemed so awesomely terrifying and so way too much, too close to be able to deal with. They were just two days' march away. It's like us been told of us armies at Murrumbateman. 
seems so close, but but today there's nothing left to do but collect plunder. And, and thank God they got so close because it's a lot to have to carry back. So I want to say to us this morning that in life there are problems, there's things that come against us. The enemy wants to tear us down if we want to press forward in our faith with Jesus. The enemy will send things against us with the hope of destroying us. But but God is so good that the very thing, the very things that have been sent to destroy you so often what God is using to deliver abundance into your life. The very thing that was meant to harm you is what God is using to accomplish such a blessing for you that's going to take you three days to carry it home. That is actually going to be too much blessing to carry. Because God is so good. And his victory over all things in your life is so complete. So we've all been there. We've all been to that place where we just have nothing to offer, but I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I do not know what to do. We've all got problems, challenges, obstacles, issues that put us in this place. So I want to suggest that God is saying to us this morning, this is not your battle. I've got this. I'll fight for you. But what I want you to do is to put on your armor. Get up. Get out of bed. Get your sword. And go out and face it. When we don't know what to do, let's keep our eyes fixed upon the Lord the maker of heaven and earth because that's where our help comes from. So I'm going to invite you to stand now. And Some of you will know the song we're about to sing. Some of you won't. But it's a song of warfare. And so if you have a a problem in your life that you don't know what to do with, if you've got a challenge in your life, if you've just got life and it's stuff, I want to invite you to sing this song to worship as warfare. Not in spite of those issues, not around them, but at them in the midst of them. Because as God's people, this is how we fight our battles. We worship. And so God, we thank you that you are our Lord. 
I pray this morning that in the midst of anxiety, in the midst of obstacles, of problems, of of things too big or too surprising or, or whatever it is this morning, Lord, I pray that in the midst of the thing that has us without answers, I pray that you would help us to fix our eyes upon you, the maker of heaven and earth. Lord, I pray that you would fight our battles for us. And in the midst, Lord, we lift our hands and we worship. Because this is how we fight our battles. To keep our eyes fixed upon you in worship. Thanks for joining us today. As you head back into your week, we want to encourage you to stay in His Word, stay in His love, and stay strong in your faith. Don't forget to keep up to date with what's happening via Facebook, Instagram, or via our website at ycbc.church. See you soon.